Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Judy Stern. Who Judy has been a physical therapist for 40 years and an Alexander Technique teacher for 23 years. She specializes in chronic and acute pain conditions, and she um, is a senior faculty member of the American Center for the Alexander Technique in New York City, and she has a private practice in Rye, New York, which is about 20 minutes north of New York City. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Alexander Technique and physical therapy. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I, I wonder if you could begin by just giving our listeners uh, an overview of the similarities, differences, connections uh, between the Alexander Technique and physical therapy. Well, it's a very good topic to begin with when you're talking to someone like me because I come from a, a medical background, having spent the first 18 years of my professional life being a physical therapist and doing very traditional and at that time for me very effective physical therapy work. But the difference between the Alexander Technique and the physical therapy is that as a physical therapist, every patient who came to me became a part of my practice and over time there were too many of them for me to treat on a regular basis. They never stayed well. I was very good at getting them to feel better, but I couldn't get them to stay well. And so over time, as you practice, you accumulate a huge number of people who depend on your hands and your skill in order to be feeling well enough to function in their lives, especially people with back pain. So when I bumped into the Alexander Technique, and I literally did bump into it, through a, a family member who was suffering from back pain, um, what I learned was that the Alexander Technique was a way of working with people that allowed them to actually stay well and that it was not about how good I was at taking their pain away, but in fact a, a process of learning how one can take care of oneself effectively and manage or in some sometimes eliminate one's back pain. So. That really is the difference. For me, as a practicing person in the world, it was much healthier for me for people to get well and stay well, rather than become part of my responsibility to keep well. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that a similar kind of argument could be made for, say, chiropractic in the Alexander Technique or other... Uh, yes. For I, other, other kind of manual interventions like that? Yes, I believe so. Because, I, you know, in chiropractic, people always say to me, well, what's the difference between chiropractic or physical therapy and the Alexander Technique? And, and what happens in manual therapies is that you see things that are out of alignment. You're very good at observation as a practitioner. And you know how to actually gently, sometimes not so gently, put bony uh, joint systems back into alignment. But the question always arises, how did they get out of alignment? And the way joints move out of their natural alignment is by the abnormal pull of muscles. So our muscles dislocate or disorganize dis, uh, 
our joint structures often, especially in the column that we call the spinal column, where there are 75 places where you can change joint alignment. And the problem is that if you realign them, but you don't change the muscular tone or teach someone how they are in fact impacting their spinal alignment, you need to be realigned often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and just thinking out loud here, I think the same sort of thing could be said for massage and the Alexander technique. That is, you hear people say, "Well, I need to go to my get a massage to deal with some back pain," and certainly it it may, but as you say, it doesn't contain that educational component that the Alexander technique does. And for me, as a as a professional dealing with people in pain, the most powerful tool you can give someone who's been suffering from chronic pain is the sense that they have some control over managing their pain and how much they suffer or can get on with their lives during their day. And I see the Alexander Technique as a very profound management tool for people in pain. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit ab about the educational aspect of the technique in, in terms of how do Alexander teachers actually work with a student? Well, I think that the first thing Alexander teachers do is um, help students become aware of what they're doing that might in fact be detrimental to their health and well-being. And by that I mean looking at how their heads rest on their spine and whether or not that organization is helpful or harmful. Looking at how the, the legs are, are used in standing, whether they're in a locked and held position or whether they're dynamic and balancing. Or looking at the use of the arms in relationship to the torso and seeing how people overuse themselves in ways that distort and create pain. So if, if a student comes to you and you observe some, I guess we could call them dysfunctional patterns, right. how do you help them to change those patterns? Well, the, the, you know, I always think that 60% of the Alexander work is awareness. In other words, once you know, you can't change anything until you know what you're doing. And psychologists say this by saying, you know, um, it's never what you say, it's how you say it. Mm -hmm. And I think that in Alexander Technique, it's never what you do, but how you do it. And so I think observing how one, to use an Alexander jargon term, how one uses oneself, the pattern by which you get in and out of a chair, the way that you bring a phone to your ear, the way that you work at your computer, the way you drive your car are all opportunities for people to observe whether or not they are efficient and easeful in the way they do all of those very ordinary things, or whether they're applying more pressure than is required, and sometimes enough pressure to actually create pain. Mm -hmm. And maybe could you say a word or two about how you use your hands as an Alexander teacher and how that differs from the way you would use your hands as a physical therapist? Uh, that's the great gift to me in my life because as a physical therapist, I worked very hard with my, ha my hands as an extension of my body. 
both in manipulation as well as in massage, as well as in stretching, as well as in applying resistance. It was all a very strenuous life for me. Uh, I used my hands in the Alexander Technique in this remarkable way uh, that one has to often experience, but my hands are, in Alexander work, my hands are guiding, and my hands can literally create a new experience. So if we think about how the head rests on the top of the spine, and as a student observes that when they sit, they actually compress their head down into their spine and shorten their spine simply to sit in a chair, my hands in that situation would prevent that pulling down of the head on the spine. And my hands have to work in conjunction in that regard with my words, with my language. So the, one of the major differences, Robert, that I would say is that in the teaching of the Alexander Technique, the, particip- the participation of the student the teach- is, is implicit and absolutely essential to learning how to take care of oneself. And my hands give a signal and a lot of information about how a different pattern of movement could occur and actually create an experience of that new pattern that a student will often turn to me and ask me about because it's so new. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, might you give them some suggestions for working on their own? Because, because obviously they're not going to be able to hang on to that experience directly. Right. So I, I often say that, um, that, that when they ask me how they can do that themselves, I ask them about whether they've ever played a musical instrument. Because I know that most people who've played musical instruments are aware that when you first touch the keys of a piano, it doesn't sound very musical. And you do have to learn the notes and how the notes work. And it takes a while, even in practicing scales, for the, for the hands on the piano to produce something that actually sounds musical. And I equate the first lessons in an Alexander experience the same way. So the first lesson is an opportunity to see what can happen if you actually learn how to apply the Alexander technique to yourself. And that like with all new things, you must take lessons and practice in order to develop, to develop the skill for yourself at a level where it's, what I use the term musical, or where it's easeful mm-hmm. and you have some skill. And, and the ultimate goal is for the student to be able to look after themselves quite possibly or even likely without any lessons at some point. Absolutely. I think that all of my students, I, I give them the goal of becoming practicing Alexander people who apply the principles and know how to manage themselves so that when things get very stressful in their lives, and you have to equate stress with excess muscle tension, most people are willing to make that leap that when they're stressed, there's excess muscle tension in their system, mm-hmm. and that that excess muscle tension often compresses them, not just their spines, but their entire selves. And that if one can learn to identify those times and then learn how to manage one's thinking and elicit an expansive response rather than a compressive response, you're in the business of being your own Alexander teacher. 
Mm-hmm. And that that's certainly the goal of all of us in this work, to get students independent of us. Absolutely. I think yeah. this is a skill. I think this is a skill that anyone can learn. And although sometimes my students look at me and say, that's impossible, because the difference between how they feel after a lesson and how they feel in their day-to-day lives is such a large gap, mm-hmm. such a big spread, they often will say that's impossible. But in fact, I often say to people that if I could learn this work, anyone could learn it. <laughs> and I remain an ongoing student of this work because I'm a pretty much a type A individual and I experience a lot of stress in my day-to-day life. And I continue to both be my own teacher and one of the reasons I teach is because when I teach, I'm at my best. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's certainly true. You know, I wonder if we could just talk for a couple of minutes, uh, address ourselves to uh, PTs and who might be listening, physical therapists who might be listening, who uh, quite possibly have heard about the Alexander Technique, although they may not have had any direct contact. What would you say would be uh, in it for a physical therapist who perhaps doesn't have any obvious physical issues, him or herself, mm-hmm. to, uh, to learning the, taking some lessons in the Alexander Technique? Well, I think that um, we should say right off the top that physical therapy is hard work mm-hmm. and that physical therapists take very little time for themselves in a day. And what I remember as a physical therapist was being responsible for four people simultaneously in a treatment situation. So some physical therapists have managed to figure out how to work with one-on-one for extended periods of time. But in most physical therapy environments, a physical therapist is managing three or four patients simultaneously. And there's not much space to think about oneself or how one is um, working with oneself mechanically, for lack of a better word. And most physical therapists, when I, give, when I give talks at physical therapy departments, and I do it often, if I ask them if they stop to eat, they say no, they eat on the run. And if I ask them if they've taken any time during the day at all to think about themselves, their answer will be no. And they're actually quite proud of it. They're proud of how much they can do in a period of time and how much they can accomplish. But they're often unaware of the toll that that takes on them personally. So I would say that that one of the things that I offer to physical therapists is the opportunity to take care of themselves while taking care of their patients. And Mm -hmm. that is a really interesting concept for most people. Right. I I have a colleague who lives in Omaha who is a... Alexander teacher and also a physical therapist. And one of the things that he pointed out to me is that in the field of physical therapy, there, it's, it's a young person's game, really. There are not a lot of old physical therapists. That is true. Because they get worn out and they, they injure themselves because there is a lot of, uh, it's, there's a lot of physical labor involved in that That's profession. True. That is correct. So if you if you are going to be doing lift, lifting legs and moving people around, if you're looking after yourself uh, using a process like the Alexander Technique, it's going to make life a lot easier for you and probably for your patients as well. 
Yes. Well, I think um, one's working life has to have in it uh, some way of taking care of oneself. And I think that um, it's not something that's thought about much in in all of the medical professions. Yes, absolutely. And I think yeah. I think Mr. Alexander was quite, he was actually quite vocal about that. He felt that uh, that medical professionals didn't take care of themselves very well. And on some level, he's quite right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Alexander we're referring to here is a man named F. Matthias Alexander, who was the developer of this work about 100 and, 110, 120 years ago. Right. Uh, Judy, is there anything that we have not touched on that you think would be important to to share with our audience today? Well, I'm I'm really interested in this concept of health and well-being, and in the idea that in today's um, health world, we are slowly but surely finding our way to the idea that that we as individuals are responsible for our health and well-being, and that waiting till one is ill before entering and then entering the medical world is probably a backwards way to think about how to live life. And I think of the Alexander Technique as one of many, but one that is dear to my heart, one of the many ways that one can maintain one's health and well-being while living a very dynamic, active life. And so I think of this as more than just um, dealing with pain syndromes. I think of the Alexander Technique as an approach to living. And what I mean by that is that I think that all of us, if we could learn to be more aware of what we're doing that hurts us and could learn how to stop and observe that, and then using the Alexander principles, learn how to expand into life rather than compress into life, we would all be healthier and the world would be a different place. I know that sounds rather grand, but it's actually how my life works. And the people who I teach, I'm willing to talk about all of this on a much broader scale than just how your spine is compressed in life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think Alexander training has repercussions far beyond the, quote, physical, unquote. Absolutely. And the other piece of that, Robert, I don't know how you think about this, but I always think about reaction as opposed to response. And I think that those of us in our day-to-day life are very aware of when we're in reaction and how that feels in our system. And by as, by reaction, you mean just like sort of automatic reaction to a stimulus. Right. Say someone cuts you off in traffic and you, right. you and get angry. You get angry, Right. right. And you might, and I, you might get, you might, if, if you're in some places, you might get violent. Yeah, a little road rage <laughs> little or something. Road rage, right? Yeah. right. But me, I think of it a lot, and when I think about bringing up children, uh, because mm-hmm. that's something that I've spent a lot of my life doing. And one of the things that I'm aware of is that um, there are many things that I am quite reactive about when it comes to my children. And because I've had two sets of children, and they're about 10 years apart, um, my older children are very envious of my younger children. And one of the reasons is because I was studying the Alexander Technique by the time I I was involved with raising my second two. Mm -hmm. And what I had learned was how to become aware of when I was becoming angry 
and how to choose whether anger was what I wanted to do in that moment or whether I wanted to choose some other avenue. And in raising children, which can be a highly reactive experience, mm -hmm. I found that my ability to, to wait, to observe myself wanting to react strongly and having the capacity to wait and respond in a different way was very, very helpful in bringing up my second set of children. And I find it helpful in relationships in general. My ability not to be reactive, but in fact to be able to respond thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. Well, this might be a, a good place to end our interview. Um, so my, my guest today has been Judy Stern, who's physical therapist and Alexander Technique teacher. She's uh, a senior member of the American Center for the Alexander Technique uh, in New York City, which is a teacher training program for Alexander teachers. And she maintains a private practice in Rye, Rye New York, which is about 40 minutes north of New York City. If anything we've talked about today um, I, I grabs your interest and you live in, in Rye or anywhere near Rye, be sure to contact uh, Judy. And if you live somewhere else, uh, consider finding a, a local Alexander teacher and, and have a few lessons. That's probably all it'll take for you to find out whether this is a, a useful process for you. Judy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Robert, it's my pleasure. Thank you.